You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman, powered by Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. This show is driven to provide relatable hunting and outdoor content in the Keystone State and surrounding Northeast. On this show, you'll hear an array of perspectives from biologists and industry professionals to average Joes with a lifetime of knowledge. All centered around values aiming to be better outdoorsmen and women. Both in the field as well as home and daily life. No clicks, no self-interest, just delight in the pursuit of creation. And now, your host, the pride of Pennsylvania, the man who shoots straight, won't steer you wrong. Johnny Appleseed himself. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Mitchell Shirk. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. This week we have a, a great episode leading up to deer season. I can't believe that the countdown is here. When you listen to this this week, we will be one, two, three days away from our statewide opener. The moment of truth that everybody's been waiting for. Um, I, I'm not far behind there. I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get out the first day. That's still up in the air. Not sure what my game plan is, but I'm hoping to get out here in one of the special regs places, uh, the early season that would be this week, and uh, hopefully try to just hunt a doe. But mainly what my goal is to try to work out the kinks in my system. Uh, I'm going to be using uh, a saddle and a set of sticks I made a, a two-step aider with two sticks. Uh, I had, uh, can't even remember the name of the sticks, what they're called, but for those of you who are familiar with Summit products, I had gotten a set of Summit uh, sticks. They're you know all solid metal, and they've got like a small platform for the step, you know, on both both ends. It's not you know your your typical folding uh, T handle step. It's uh, it's this small platform. And I was looking at that, and I thought, you know, I could probably make something that utilizes <clears throat> the top step as part of a platform. And I always, when I saddle hunted, which has not been much, I'm not an experienced saddle hunter, but the little bit I have, I've used a ring, a ring of steps because I like that mobility around the tree a little bit easier. So I'm thinking, hey, why not use that platform and then put uh, put some steps next to it so that I could still walk around the tree. So I'm hoping to use that this week really not because I'm trying to I'm really excited that I'm going to go shoot a doe I mean I will if I get the opportunity but it's more along the lines of I want to practice getting up the tree with my setup Uh, like I said the the two-step baiter what I did I basically just took some some rope and cut two pieces of PVC pipe per per stick and ran that PVC pipe about eh, eight inches you know six to eight inches wide and use that to make my step and it's you know it turns into one stick I can get up about seven feet so I'm thinking if I stretch myself out I want I could probably get up 14 15 feet with two sticks it's gonna be a whole lot easier to take that back in than you know multiple sticks and everything else so I'm anxious to try that it's going to be a little bit of a learning experience like I said I have hunted with a saddle a couple times it's just not something I regularly do you know, if you've listened to me on the show a lot, you know that I do mostly private land deer hunting, and I'll I'll usually have hang-ons in place, which I've been really happy with, and I'll continue to do that that this day. I'll still do that this year, but for this uh, public land bear hunt that I'm doing, or uh, any public land bear hunting I do, I'm probably going to be back and forth between borrowing my dad's climber and using the the sticks in the saddle. And the saddle was a cool thing, too. I didn't buy it. I had a friend of mine that had an extra saddle. 
and he's like, "Do you want to you want to give this a shot?" I'm like, "Absolutely, I'd love to give it a shot. It's a it's nice and it's comfortable, and uh, I, I'm thrilled." So I have don't don't have a lot invested in using this, which I'm thankful for, and maybe it'll give me some ideas of if if I want to invest in one myself. But no, that's uh, that's got me fired up. I'm really my opening day feels like October 9th when I go down to New Jersey. Uh, if you've watched my Instagram, if you've done any social media things, uh, you probably saw that I was doing some scouting. I had some uh, encounters with a number of bear. Uh, I think I'm honing in on a spot that I'm going to hopefully stand hunt the first day, and we're gonna we're gonna let it rip and see what happens. I'm gonna be doing it with the bow. Bought an archery license. I want to hopefully kill my first bear with a bow. So that's what's on the radar for now. And I know you guys are all excited. It's it's here, the season, the things you've been counting down, waiting for, it's here. So this week's show, we have a group of Pennsylvania hunters, awesome content creators, and uh, just all-around good guys on this week's episode. I was able to catch up with the Everyday Outdoorsman. That's going to be Brandon Miller and Grant Forney. And it was great to catch up with and meet those guys. And, man, you can tell these guys are passionate about deer hunting. Um, they, they push themselves. They do it for their own entertainment. They're not, they're not doing it for anybody else. They're doing it for themselves. They just like to bring people along and share the hunt and get it on film. That's just part of what they enjoy. Because I talked about that. I said, guys, I don't know how you do it because that just seems like a headache. And it just seems like too much work and you know, not that much fun. And it, it's one of those things where I guess if you do it long enough, you get used to it. And, uh, it, it's like, it, it, it's like just part of your normal routine is basically the way they described it. And I'm glad they do it. Cause I do enjoy watching their videos. If you haven't noticed, they've been putting out a couple of recent deer hunts here this year. Uh, they were able to knock down a couple of doe. I think some of that might've been Maryland and some of it also might've been special regs areas in Pennsylvania. But we are going to have uh, a, a season, you know, get you started kind of episode, you know, things we're looking forward to, where we've come from in our hunting experiences, uh, the goals we have set this year, and just a lot of other random whitetail BS stuff. We talk about things as simple as what do, uh, how do you handle conversations with non-deer hunters up to what is the gear that you're going to be using this fall? What do you, uh, what do you like the most? And uh, with that, we're also going to talk about Huntworth products. Uh, you've heard me talk, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a partnered guy, uh, show with Huntworth. I really like their products, but Grant and Brandon have a lot more experience with their their equipment and their gear and more seasons under their belt than I do. And we talk about that a little bit, like what's some of the things that they enjoy the most. And we're uh, we're going to touch on that. So let's uh, let's get to this episode real quick. Right, real quick before we do, just going to give our thanks to our partners, and that's going to be Radix Hunting. I put my MCore cell camera on video mode. I actually I made the decision last minute when I was scouting for bear right before I went down this last time. I pulled my cell camera that I had at my place and swapped it out just for a regular SD card. Uh, regular SD card camera and then took that cell camera down to New Jersey and swapped it out and I'm glad I did because I've been getting a lot of great pictures I can't get over how good the video quality is um, the audio is pretty crazy too I was hearing bear making all kinds of neat sounds there was uh, cubs fighting that was really neat to see but I've been really really happy with those M cores 
affordable cameras. I really think you guys will like them. They're easy to set up. Uh, in addition to the M cores, you've got your your uh, your Gen 600 cameras. The Radix hang-on tree stands. Really, really liking those. I, I had such an easy time setting those up, putting them together. They're quiet. They're solid, including the sticks. So uh, Radix products, uh, anything from cameras to tree stand gear to feeders to blinds to stick and pick trail camera accessories. So check out Radix Hunting. And we're also going to be talking about Huntworth, guys. I've been really impressed. I, I said last week I was talking about their lightweight gear, and I couldn't remember the name of the stuff that I was using. I felt like a goofball, but uh, the Durham pants were the ones that I was referring to. The Durham pants are lightweight and really comfortable, and I have been really, really happy with that. Also, the Sheldon hoodie. That's another comfortable one. Uh, I've been using the Disruption Digital Pattern. Really like that. But there's a, there a couple other things to keep in mind. Huntworth clothing is really great for all kinds of weather and it's not going to break the bank. You've, you can have uh, a budget and get a set of Huntworth clothing that will last you most if not all the season and if you're looking for some cold weather stuff check out their heat boost technology. It, it's uh, extremely warm but it doesn't have the bulk like a giant fluffy parka. So check out Huntworth gear and with that guys let's get to this week's episode. but for the most part we take those yeah that's like the first thing that i if i can't get the camera or get all cameras on that's the first one that goes so the main camera is the one i go to and then the gopro if i get it on i get it on right yeah and do you often put stuff on your weapon or on your head as far as filming because i know like my buddy john colbert has the suffering outdoors channel he does that a bunch Mm -hmm. he'll put uh He'll put it on from that and get that point of view. I didn't know if that's something you guys tinker with or not. Not a lot. Nah, just a little bit. I mean, last year, late season, I did, but that was just for drives. Like, I couldn't get the main camera on, so I was like, this is Like, it. with this the flint lock and stuff? It was actually on my bow. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that was – it was interesting. I missed the deer with it. Um, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but, no, we don't tinker around with it too much. Gotcha. Well, um, oh, we'll get – started rolling yeah whenever you want to kick me out brandon pretty much when it comes to but well, we'll probably be here all night then yeah we'll be all here all night because we can talk hunting all yeah all i'm right there i'm right there so if if you guys have noticed the the voices yet um i had the privilege of coming down here sitting here with brandon miller and grant forney i'm sitting here with the everyday outdoorsman so guys thanks for uh thanks for letting me crash your party here absolutely well, thanks for coming. yeah thanks for coming thanks for having us as a guest on the podcast it's an honor and uh yeah always love talking about hunting so it should be a good time how can you not what's, what's so funny we were just talking about this before we started recording that there's more people in the social media videoing podcasting like content production in our area than i ever realized before and it makes me wonder like am i missing more people but <laughs> now this is this is great to connect with you guys so had a had a busy year so far how's the the season preparation and everything for for you guys been going well yeah it's been really busy i mean we pretty much start preparing for hunting season the day that it ends yep um pretty much on february 1st we're getting after it shed hunting postseason scouting um you know and that's what we did this year and i for me personally, I think I've put in probably more time scouting this off season than 
you know, than almost ever before or in several years, you know, for me between uh, winter scouting, spring scouting, and even summer scouting, time hanging trail cams, checking out new areas, fine tuning areas we've already hunted. So I don't know about you, Brandon, but um, yeah, it's been been a busy year, I would say. I think our scouting is getting much more focused like a lot of times when we were younger it was just like walking through the woods looking for a buck rub here or there but now we're we're focusing on specific locations um three years ago cam and i ran i think it was six cameras in one location um they were spread out it was one piece of public but they were really spread out and we didn't really know what to expect and we had some incredible deer now we're looking at the land seeing how these deer are moving where they're living and we're running a lot more cameras but they're more condensed in specific areas that we know or think that there should be some big bucks um so i think our scouting is is getting more focused and more intentional and i hope it results in more deer uh, at least that we're seeing on trail camera and maybe having encounters with and getting an arrow in them that's always a hope and uh i'm i'm really anxious to dive into that guys but i want to go back real quick just give us a brief overview how and when did the everyday outdoorsman get started and it, it's kind of funny because i would say about a year ago one of my best friends from high school he goes uh he found out that i was doing a podcast and he's like you gotta reach out to those everyday outdoorsman guys i really like their show and i started watching some of your stuff I was like yeah these guys are real real, real relatable so he's probably gonna listen to this and be like hey he called me out but now i gotta know like how how south you know southeastern pa boys like get started doing that just because i'm sure it was passion driven but the thing that gives me is like i'm driven to to hunt mm-hmm. i learned quickly i'm not passionate to produce video content like i filmed a couple hunts already but mm-hmm. it's just like it's not for me so i'm i'm anxious to hear about this mm-hmm. yeah so i mean the everyday outdoorsman well first off it, it hasn't even been called the everyday outdoorsman for the whole time mm-hmm. uh the everyday outdoorsman we changed the name to in I guess it was 2018. 2018. I think that was it. Yep. Uh, prior to that, we were Pennsylvania Outdoors Unlimited. Prior to that, we were basically just a YouTube channel under my name. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we got started back in um, back when I was 14 years old. So I think it was I made the YouTube account in summer of 2010. Yeah, it's been 13 years. So it's been a long time. I mean, uh, that's back before a lot of people were on YouTube. Um, compared to now and uh you know it was never something where I had a plan for it it was never like you know supposed to be what it is now it was just simply like made a YouTube account with the intention of you know maybe posting outdoor videos on there just to show to our friends just have a platform to show people stuff and that first year you know, Brandon and I, we, we had always been as kids, uh, you know, good buddies, uh, love to hunt and fish me and you and some of my brothers and, uh, Brandon's cousin Herschel. We all, we love to hunt and fish and we always did together. Um, so once I made the YouTube channel and we started kind of carrying a camera around, I mean, Brandon pretty much hopped on board right away with me as well as Herschel. Um, and so it just kind of went from there. I mean, we just, we were just a couple of kids that loved to hunt and fish and, you know, 
kind of fell in love then with showing other people our adventures mm-hmm. is kind of the best way that I would describe it. And then, uh, you know, I don't know. It just feels like here we are now. I mean, <laughs> just one thing led to another. You know, we just we just have so much passion for it. Like as the years have gone by, we've almost just fell in love with it more and more every year, just sharing our adventures with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's that it's to the point now where it, you know, it feels like we, we really have a, a platform that we're thankful for to be able to reach a lot of people and hopefully be a good influence on people, hopefully inspire maybe new people to hunt that haven't hunted before. Uh, and just, yeah, be a good influence on people that are already hunters. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how it started. Um, long time, long time ago. It doesn't feel like that long yeah. ago, <laughs> <laughs> but it's in the name. We're trying to relate to the everyday outdoorsman. And in our bio, it says you and us or you and us are the everyday outdoorsman. So we want to relate to the Joe Schmo that's walking out through the woods. Like we want to relate to those people that are weekend warriors, kind of like we are. Yeah. We get some vacation days, but we're not doing this full time yet. Like mm-hmm. we're still, we're still just grinding through work and, and then we get to hunt on the weekends whenever we can. And, and that's a lot of people these days. So we're trying to, to relate to those people so that they get, um, they can be uh, influenced and want to get out there more too. Well, and, you talk about the everyday outdoorsman and I don't want to put you guys in a headlock or confine you to the area, but I, I, I when I think of the everyday outdoorsman, I think it's relatable to the Northeast just because of the type of hunting you guys do. Cause you grind it out close to home. I think you guys got some hunting camps you go to and let's yep. face it. The, I've had that on my show a bunch about the, the heritage and the camp traditions and stuff like that. And that's really relatable. And I'm kind of curious as you've gone through this whole process like there's so many times where I've talked to guys that maybe they're have some kind of take on the hunting industry and they're from the the Northeast or from Pennsylvania. And there's always that, that little bit of a negative mindset of, well, we're in Pennsylvania and that's not the best state for deer hunting. You know, Midwest, you go West young man kind of deal. But I, I think sometimes, and I don't get that vibe from your, your show, like you guys truly enjoy, and I get the vibe you embrace hunting in this state and you know the surrounding Northeast. So I'm kind of curious, like your thought process or your perspective on the positive side when it comes to Pennsylvania, Maryland, all the the surrounding states that we hunt stuff because it's it's definitely different when you look at it from a nationwide perspective, and you definitely have that kind of influence with with YouTube and everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's truly a blessing to hunt here. I mean, it's all I've ever known, obviously. I mean, I've hunted... That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we grew up here. We had to grind it out on public land. Like, my dad and, and even my grandpa, we, we've been hunting north, northern Potter County um, for the better part of 50, 60 years, and it's all public land. Um, yeah, we, we struggled over the years um, for different stints, just not seeing deer and... But man, in the last couple of years, we were just seeing some awesome bucks. They're not easy to kill, but I mean, when you find sheds like this of 160s just laying around in the woods, um, even Grant, like just up up north, we have some incredible bucks and some incredible genes that are just running around. Um, 
And even here, where we're from here in Lancaster County, I mean, I shot this one just up the road, score 113 with the recurve. It's like even 20 years ago, it's that wasn't that really wasn't unheard, that was unheard of. Um, and now with with the the point limit, the three points on a side, I think that was the best thing that could ever happen to the state. I mean, we're just seeing some some awesome bucks coming through. And, um, I mean, you see it all over social media once hunting season starts on these Facebook pages, specifically about Pennsylvania. It's like, there are some monster deer out there. They're not easy to kill, but no, they're absolutely. around. Yeah. Um, I guess just adding a little bit to what Brandon said or, or basically just agreeing with what he said. I mean, that was the first thing that came to my mind, too, after that question was, is, this is just all we've ever known. So, like, I mean, we both grew up hunting here. We've really, not that we will never travel to hunt or, you know, not that we don't occasionally, but, you know, really one thing, one thing I love about hunting around here and just hunting in general, just cause this is the way we do things. But I, I just enjoy being able to hunt for, you know, the deer that we're kind of putting our time into all year round. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you're going to travel out of state and, and there's a lot of fun things to, to traveling to hunt too, I'm sure. But you know, if you're going to go travel out of state to hunt, it's like you're probably showing up to an area you may never have been to, uh, never scouted. You don't know what kind of animals, you know, caliber of animals are in that area. And I think there's, you know, a lot of fun just in, um, you know, chasing, chasing the deer that you scouted for all year, hunting the areas that you've invested your time in all year. Uh, I really think that's just kind of the style that, that we both have come to love just because that's all we've ever done. Yeah. And um, it's year to year too. Like we have yeah. spots that we just keep going back to because we keep seeing that success. And yeah. that's just awesome. Just keep every year. It's like learn a little I, bit more. Absolutely. Yep. And yeah, there's, there's fun going out outside of this area, but if you're spending a lot of time in a specific area and five years down the road, it results in a big buck. It's like, that was totally worth it to scout that hunt it so often and at the end come to the end of a blood trail and there's your big buck it's that's pretty cool yeah because the, the the deer is what you're going after but at the same time it's that journey you're going after and that's yeah. that's what i love is the chase because i'll never forget in when i killed uh, my my one big one that i was after in 2020 it was the first time i ever killed the deer and when i was done i had like this empty feeling like because it's like he's not alive anymore like that pursuit is done now i gotta start and that carried over into the next year and it it drug on that was a giant too right yeah i got lucky <laughs> I, got, I, had some, I had some luck but Give i was some credit i was i was blessed that was that was an awesome journey that was an awesome experience i mean that that deer taught me a lot and you know if I never lived to kill another deer like that, that was an awesome experience. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys brought up you brought up camp in, in northern Potter County, and I wanted your perspective, both of you guys, because I go to a camp. I've been to, I've been to many camps. I think I've hunted out of like three or four different camps in northern Pennsylvania for deer, bear, turkeys, and stuff like that. My main hunting camp um, that I, I call my own um, the the. The generations, like between my dad's generation and my grandfather's generation, you see that trend changing over time with how you hunt, your perspective on the woods and stuff like that. And the past few years, I started doing some some group hunts in rifle season. And I just, I had an idea. I wanted to try something in a few areas. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But it gave light to 
my dad's my dad his his group of guys and and my even my grandfather's generation that they never looked at before and uh we had a successful hunt this year and they made the comment along the lines of like oh we would never have this if you didn't come here and i don't believe that to be true whatsoever i think Mm -hmm. it was just me having that ramminess was like i want to try something let's get a group of guys and let's try this so i'm i'm bringing that into light and i want to know what has been your experience in deer camp? Like, what has your generation brought into deer camp from a hunting side of things and a hunting perspective of those woods? Because, mm. like, when I think about camp, like, you, you got the, the my, my grandfather's telling me stories of 60 deer coming out yeah. and, you know, drives and seeing small buck and mm-hmm. hunting ridges certain ways. And then, you know, the next generation comes through and then the deer shot off and it changed the woods and logging and stuff. So, like, each generation brings a new perspective and i just mm. wonder like from your point of view like what have you guys experienced in camp over the years it's probably a good one for you to start with again yeah and, and that's a very good question honestly and i think our generation and nothing against the older generation but we have we have to work for these deer now whereas back then like you said 60 deer in a line and you shoot the last one at a spike um or a four point and yeah i mean you'd be jacked for that um in those moments because that may have been the only buck in that group um but now i think we bring an appreciation and just that drive to go further and deeper into some of these areas um, i know for cameron and i we have one specific area that we spent so much time in and yeah the density of deer is very low but they are there and i mean it's not uncommon for us to go one two three miles in on this place and you're seeing one two three deer a day um which in some of your midwestern states like that that's absolutely ridiculous but up here that's a successful day to me uh even just seeing one deer now i've seen that deer and i can watch all right how's it moving and like last year i had a hunt in this area i saw one deer all day long it was a really big buck he picked me out and i never got a shot so now i'm learning where do i need to be for that situation again and I'm going right back there this year, and I'm going to hunt the same area, but just shift my my tactics a little bit. So I think I think our generation has brought that drive. Now technology has changed too, where we can go out and scout, run those cameras. Whereas um, my dad and my grandparent or my grandpa, they didn't have that, so they were scouting in the summer if they if they wanted to, or scouting in spring turkey season. Um, but a lot of that was we're going to hunt the pressure back then, and. And every year it seemed to be the same at nine o'clock. Here comes this line of deer every day, opening day. And I'm going to sit here and wait for that. It's not that way anymore. You can hunt some pressure, but you're not going to see 60 deer in a day. All right, folks, it's that time of year for fall food plot planning. And this year I'm proud to be working with Vitalize Seed. I work with them because they're great people and they're extremely passionate about wildlife and soil health. My fall food plots will be planted in Vitalize's Carbon Load, a 16-way diverse mix that is highly attractive to whitetails and has countless benefits to soil and soil health. If you've ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of different seed blends on the market, check out Vitalize's 1-2 planting system. It's designed how nature intended, to make biology work for you. Now each plant species in the blend has the proper ratio of seed to grow synergistically, not allowing any to outcompete another. This provides season-long forage for wildlife as well as benefiting the soil biome. There's no need for complex crop rotations with monocultures that are susceptible to drought and overbrowsing. 
Whether you plant with fancy no-till equipment or bag spreader and a lawnmower, Vitalize can work in any food plot. For more information about Vitalize and soil health practices, visit VitalizeSeed.com and be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook. Radix Hunting was founded on premium-grade trail cameras and continues striving to produce the best cellular and conventional trail cameras on the market today. The Gen 600 is a second-generation camera from the Gen Series line. With premium video and audio recording capabilities, this product has become well-respected as the HD video trail camera. In addition to the Gen Series cameras, their M-Core cellular camera has all the features of a quality cell camera at an affordable price. Along with their cameras, they offer stick-and-pick trail camera accessories to allow you to set your cameras just right. You can find it all at RadixHunting.com and be sure to follow Radix Hunting on Instagram and Facebook. Want to check out Radix cameras in person? Stop in at Little Mountain Outfitters in Richland, Pennsylvania and have a peek. Now, back to the show. Yeah, look, the, uh, the things I think about, like, I believe my grandfather, those generations when they were hunting in the 60s and the 70s and stuff like that, when they had... The, the deer population, the dynamic they had, I think you put those hunters in a setting where we have the, the forest quality and the deer population and the age structure mm-hmm. that we have now, I think a lot of those guys would have killed some big buck. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, I think about some of them, and they tell, tell me the places they went and the ground they covered and how they hunted it. From my point of view, I'm like, man, why weren't you guys killing hammers? And it's just, for me, it's a hard hard to cope with or come to reality that deer population, the dynamics were so different then. But I, I do think that each generation brings something different, and that's kind of why I wanted to get your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you guys, camp is, is kind of a, a specialty thing. I mean, you guys grind it out close to home a little bit. How has your evolution hunting around hunting in general i'm going to say but i mean hunting around home too how has that evolved over time just because you know you either keep that drive going either you you, you want to get a progression of shooting a bigger buck or shooting more deer or, or stuff like and it's it's different for everybody i'm kind of curious where you guys come from hunting around here and stuff yeah i would say i mean like you said it it has been an evolution for us both over you know, the last number of years since we've been hunting harder, um, in areas close to home here. Uh, yeah, just every year trying to learn a little bit more. I would say we both are in a stage of our hunting careers where we do enjoy the challenge of, of trying to pursue more mature bucks each year. Not that our standards are crazy high, but, um, you know, we do enjoy that challenge, I think. Mm-hmm. And we also, I mean, we love shooting does too. That's, that never gets old for us. Never gets old. So, uh, I mean, we just, I mean, we just love hunting. We love, uh, we love everything about it. So that includes shooting does. So, mm-hmm. uh, we try to get better at that every year, you know, cause even that's not easy to do, you know? Uh, and it's great practice. Great practice. Yeah. For when that big I buck mean, comes through. Like, yep. you know what to do. <clears throat> yeah. those, those does that you've shot leading up to that, that tells you a lot. 
Yes. You, you can't take experience out when it comes to shooting deer. I don't mm, care how exactly. much practice. I don't care how realistic practice is. Yep. I don't care. When you put a live animal in front of you, it's mm-hmm. a different ball game. It is. And the only thing that gets better is experience. Like the people mm-hmm. that hunt suburbs and shoot a lot of deer annually, those are they're, they're, they're killers. They got experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, just just trying to fine-tune our skills every year in, in every area of hunting and just – understanding the way deer are moving and using those areas we hunt, understanding how they're changing their patterns off of pressure, understanding, you know, uh, what they're doing during the rut, mm-hmm. where they are, uh, trying to understand them during late season, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get better at, like we talked about, you know, being good in, in the moment of truth. Yep trying to figure out big bucks so i mean just about anything you think anything you can think of any area of hunting we're trying to uh trying to improve i think with each year that goes by so yeah like from the uh from the perspective of you you talked about hunting mature deer and or or hunting more mature deer each year you know kind of the progression um i can relate to that i want to shoot a a mature deer relative to where i'm hunting that's that's important to me that's where i've got to um the thing I struggle with, and this is more of a personal struggle, is like where's the line where it becomes that you're trophy hunting versus hunting for enjoyment and filling the freezer and stuff like that. I struggle with that. And you know, from your guys' point of view, the everyday outdoorsman, you're trying to be relatable. And I, I know that there's people who watch your show that relate to some level of that. But I feel like in the level in the in the world of content that we have for hunting, it. it it's like a weird line like of what's what's realistic what what's and what's what's not and you mm-hmm. guys hunt public land so i think it always keeps it realistic because you got to hunt your tails off mm-hmm. but i just like what's your two cents so like how do you feel when it comes to your, like the content production just because of everybody being in a different level i know you want to be you but yeah I don't, I don't know where else yeah i mean the best way i can answer that is like I mean, I agree with you. It's the, that line, that kind of, you know, that line for everybody is different and it is a struggle, I think. But I mean, the best thing that I could say to anyone is just, you know, do what makes you happy. And so there's so many different ways that, that you can do it. I mean, if you want to, if you want to hold out for a mature buck all year and then still eat your tag at the end of the year, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And Mm -hmm. And I don't think that should be looked down upon. If you want to start off the year looking for a big deer, passing up some smaller ones, and then it gets to the end of the year and you, you're like, well, now I kind of want to fill my tag. And you end up shooting a deer that you passed up earlier in the year. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, or shooting the first one that comes along right. too. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think, yeah, it's whatever makes you happy. I mean, like I said, there's a lot, there's a lot of ways to – to do it i think everybody kind of has to decide where that line is for yourself so yeah. i don't know what your thoughts are but no and I, and I agree with that um just in the last man i'd say two to three years my standards have started to creep up i mean i was like Grant said like shooting that first buck like i i've done that so many times and don't get me wrong i i've been jazzed for some of these bucks that i've shot um and gotten worked up over them so i don't regret any of that but another thing too is 
growing up, like when we first started this, I mean, we would, we would get to hunt, I mean, a handful of days a year. Um, we were only here in Pennsylvania. When we started out, we couldn't drive. So like we were yeah. relying on Herschel or our dads or whoever to drive us around. So we were just jacked to get out there and, and shoot a deer. It didn't matter yeah. what it was. Um, when we were 16 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. 15. So now we're spending more time in the woods. I'm running more trail cameras. I know what's out there. So especially in PA, my standards are starting to really creep up. Now I'm not looking for that five, six, seven year old buck, but something that's three year old or better. I mean, that that's kind of what I'm looking for. And then in, in Maryland too, the, the standards are a little bit less, but still looking for something half decent down there. Uh, we still get three buck tags, so that makes it a little bit easier. Um, oh, really? I didn't even realize that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean that, and it can vary state to state too. Um, but no, I think I think my standards are are starting to get or starting to creep up a little bit. But still, whatever gets me jazzed is hitting the dirt. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> one one thing, so I. I've said this a, a bunch of times, like, I feel like I grew up in, like, the wrong era because, like, the 90s and 2000s is when, like, private land, habitat, wildlife management, stuff like that was cool. And anybody you watch it was doing that, like, that was the thing to do. And if you weren't, you know, planting food plots and cutting timber and doing all those stuff to put a mm-hmm. hunt together, like, you were missing out yeah. and that, that led to shooting bigger deer. And, like... I'm extremely fortunate that like from a young age, I had that privilege and I, and I knew it, but I didn't know it. If this makes sense, like not everybody had what I had growing up. So my experience was way different than so many people. And when I ask you guys that question, because I can make sense of that now where like the hunting I've done over the years, because years ago I wouldn't have understood, um, the, the timeline and progression if you have that logic of shooting a, a, a mature buck. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but mm-hmm. it just gives me a different perspective. And now when I see, like, all the BS on, on Instagram just because with do, having a podcast now, I do that. I never did social media before, but it's just made me wonder where the line is all the time and what is something – because at the end of the day, anything I do – with my channel or my podcast, I want it to be a light in darkness for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what's important to me. So, like, trying to think of the positive side, that's just tough because uh, let's face it, hunters bicker all the time together, and that's mm-hmm. I don't want that either. So, yeah. I don't know. It's just that's a gray conversation. I don't even know how to direct that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and there's keyboard warriors out there. I mean, we get them all the time. We get hate hate comments like yeah. Honestly, we talk about if it's hate or if it's positive, it still gives our channel traction, so bring it on. Like, <laughs> yeah. I like how you bring positivity. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I mean, there's always going to be someone with a different opinion. Yep. But be true to yourself, be true to your morals, and shoot the deer you want to shoot. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, we talk about it a lot. Like, it doesn't matter what we do. There's always going to be somebody that it upsets, no mm-hmm. matter what it is. So you're never going to be able to make everybody happy. So you might as well just do do what you want to do, do what you think is right, the way you want to do things, and you know, that's really all you can do. Yep. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, like you said, Mitchell, there's, there's a lot of hunters that that like to fight and argue, you know, different different topics, different things. But, yeah, I think that generally speaking – hunters need to do a better job of just kind of coming together and 
champion on one team, even though we all maybe do things some different ways, have different opinions on certain things. I mean, we're all hunters at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we, we got to try to do our best to get along. All right. Last question I have for you guys before we get into talking about the upcoming season and and stuff you guys got going on that you're excited Mm -hmm. about. I've run into a situation here more recently, and I think it's probably because of doing the podcast, where I'll have more neutral non-hunters ask me about hunting and what I do. And I never realized how difficult it is for me to explain to somebody what I'm what I'm interested in, in and what I'm doing. Like, it's, it's easy to talk about hunting from the perspective of, well, I, I shoot deer. It helps from the population dynamic standpoint. I'm doing my, my due diligence from a carrying capacity. I fill my freezer. Venison's good for me. Um, that part's easy. But when, when people start asking more detailed questions, and it usually comes from, how do you think of stuff to talk about on a weekly basis for hunting? Like, it's easy for you guys because we can talk the language and we understand where we're coming from when we start talking about the specifics of targeting mature buck and accessing that. So, like, when, when people ask you questions like, uh, I'll give you an example. There, this, this new property I'm hunting, the people who own it are very new to hunting and, and the logic that I have for their property. And, and explaining that like where my thought process lies for that is so hard to to make it relatable to them that they understand i just wondered like the the non-hunting community that you guys have talked with like where what have those conversations been like whether it's family or maybe it's even social media or youtube or something i mean it is pretty interesting i think we get so used to like talking so in depth with fellow hunters that are you know so passionate about it that then it's almost hard to talk to talk to someone more surface level more. about about hunting that it's it's kind of tough to do mm-hmm. um i mean i don't know what no, i agree it's, it's one of those things unless they bring it up i'm usually not talking about it like <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like yeah. i get awkward like if i go to a family event and i'm with like the in-laws in-laws mm-hmm. and and they're they're trying to make conversation in an awkward light they're like so how's the podcast how's your hunting season did you catch right. anything it's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> yep. here we go the surface uh, level stuff yeah, i know yeah. then, it, then it's like i i want to say something of value but i don't want to bore you to tears when i start going into the details of i've had pictures for this buck for the last three years there's a window i think i'm going to be able to kill him i started putting a food plot in it this way i started cutting trees in it this way they look at you like you have three heads yeah you're doing this for a deer like yeah like for one deer i'm like yeah i think about one deer on a daily basis they're like you're freaking nuts yeah yeah stay awake all night thinking about him yeah people don't understand that yeah so like thinking about one specific deer um is for for you guys do you have that one specific deer generally at home or or one thing i've been kind of batting around i want to spend more time at camp and shoot a really good buck with my bow so like where are you guys at with this upcoming season like goals mindset and things like that yeah i mean it's pretty rare that i will target only one specific deer yeah uh for me personally i think we run our trail cameras, we see what we have on our trail cameras, and we may go in to an area trying to hunt a deer, but usually knowing, hopefully, there's at least a couple others in the area that we would shoot if they showed up. Mm-hmm. So, that's kind of that's kind of how I do things. I mean, 
and really the majority of my hunting is kind of based around the rut me personally so a lot of times like i'm kind of basing my strategy off of that trying to hunt areas where i'm putting myself you know in an area where i may have an opportunity to to see multiple different bucks that i'd be interested in in taking so you know i think throughout the year as i'm scouting i'm keeping that in mind Mm kind of almost scouting with the rut in mind not all the time but a lot of the time Mm -hmm. uh you know it would take a pretty special deer a pretty special deer in pennsylvania for me to say I'm not filling my tag on anything else. Mm-hmm. And it's tough when you're a weekend warrior. We can't right. just take yeah. a week whenever we want to and go yeah. target a, a specific deer. We're hunting when we can. So we're killing, yeah, we're holding out for some bigger bucks. We're not focusing on one specific buck per se. Yeah. Do you yeah. get more excited hunting one region of your hunting area versus another? I do. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's there's some areas that we run trail cameras right now we just we know there's big bucks there and it's more area based it's not one specific deer it's like i'm jacked to go hunt this area and i think that that's what i'm looking forward to this season because i've i've just been bouncing around all over the place the last couple years and now i'm starting to really focus on a couple specific areas that trying to get in on some bigger bucks so talking about trail cameras how has your interpretation of the cameras you run changed over time when you approach an area to hunt a deer or group of deer in an area um for me i think like i was talking about a little bit earlier where we were spreading out our cameras vastly um now we we run i mean upwards of 75 80 cameras Mm -hmm. um but we're we're putting them in clusters now trying to learn specific areas um so i think my mentality has changed where i'm not just trying to see what's out there i'm trying to learn how these deer are moving in this area and i think that's going to change the way i hunt too because now say i'm not seeing any activity in that area well, I'm, I'm moving that cluster i'm moving i'm even moving how i'm going to hunt that specific area or i may even just leave that area completely and come back next year and see if say there's food there or more cover um but i think trail cameras can tell you a lot they don't tell you everything i mean you're seeing a window in the woods that's 30 yards wide um we have areas where we know there's other big bucks but they may have seen the camera when we were hanging them chest high and just walked right around it so trail cameras don't tell you everything and frankly they don't tell you much at all i mean they tell you they tell you a good amount but the amount that you're missing um around that tree that's 360 degrees you're only seeing a small window of it so you have to get boots on the ground um like we were talking about i don't focus on one single deer and I don't think I've ever shot a deer that I knew about on a trail camera. I just okay. enjoy looking at trail camera pictures of big bucks <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, someday, hopefully, I can kill one that I know about. But for now, it's just I want to see what's out there and, and have an idea of which areas to to focus on each year. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think I mean I think Brandon hit it pretty good there. I would say, yeah, in the past, I was going way too widespread, like with trail cameras. I mean say we have like a massive piece of public land that we're going to hunt, we would say, all right, we need a camera up here, one all the way down here in this mm-hmm. other corner. Like we need to have this area, this whole public land covered, you know, with at least one camera in every mm-hmm. general area. And one now camera it's like, per square. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so spatial grid. Yep. That wasn't really helping us a lot because we weren't learning anything about those more specific areas and then so, those cameras that really did well 
we then we started we, clustering right. in, and now we're seeing some really big deer. We kind of got ourselves into the areas that we know are good. We know from year to year they're going to probably hold deer. We want to shoot, you know, some better bucks. And so we've kind of focused our cameras into those areas to try to really more specifically learn those areas and fine tune them. So, uh, and I mean, for me personally, most of the trail cams that I run with the exception of cell cams, most of the regular cameras that I run, uh, they're usually, uh, you know, with, with the long-term play in mind, uh, getting historical data, you know, really to try to, to try to help me for really the following year, uh, after, after those cameras have soaked for a whole year, not that you can't go in and and check one and then, you know, go in and, and get on that deer, you know, right after you get a picture of him. But, you know, a lot of times, I mean, our cameras aren't super easy to get to and check. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, our cameras might soak all year without us even checking them, at least a good amount of them. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to kind of use that data for the following fall to, uh, you know, see like, Hey, this scrape, this scrape was really hot the last week of October. Yeah. Daylight, mm-hmm. mature bucks. Okay, well then we're going to use that that data for next year or whatever the case is. You know, maybe uh, a food source or mm-hmm. you know a trail. Or if the spot was dry, you know, right. we're not coming back here. Yeah, we've yeah. had that quite a few times too. Yep. Yeah, I, I can't agree more. I, the regular cameras, like I'm thinking about the one property that was just at this past weekend, I was doing some work on. I set up uh, my cell cameras in locations that were relative to stands and relative with the, the line of movement. But there was there was areas on the property that, I mean, I knew the deer used them, but I wanted to have a better idea of throughout the calendar year, when are they using them morning versus evening? When are they using them um, daylight specific or times of year specific so there's cameras in areas that i'm really not they're more centrally located i'm really not looking at those areas from the small property thinking i'm going to dive in there and kill a deer in there but what i what i do have in my mind is okay if i know this is how they're utilizing it this is hopefully going to help me uh because it's private land i have the ability to do some manipulation i thought well maybe that'll give me an edge on how i want to fine tune this to make the stand location that i have a little bit better as far as movement direction so there's that but i mean even on like the the cameras that i hang at camp at public i know that my amount of time i get up to camp which camps about two hours away from me um i am not gonna get up there and regularly check cameras i'm going to scout when i find something looks good i'm going to stick a camera on there and my hope is that i learned some of these areas between bebopping around and throughout the season when i have time and rifle season but that in conjunction with some camera data um when i finally decide i'm going all in to kill one with the bow up there i at least feel like i have some good direction Mm -hmm. um but i get i get really wrapped up with like analysis by paralysis like you talked about 75 80 cameras within your group of guys Mm -hmm. and i I think i've been with with hunting buddies that we might have had in that 50 Mm -hmm. range or stuff so like how do you how do you go about tackling that like what do you tell me a little bit about like you pull a card and you manage cameras and you know pass it back and forth stuff like that that's a lot to go through and you know people that are thinking they want to run more cameras like i i do it all the time i'm like how do I want to get the most out of this card pull? Like, I'm wondering like, what, what your perspective is. Hmm. 
Yeah, well, I mean, the way I, if we're going to get pretty specific, I mean, the way I organize photos is like, I have pretty much all the areas, folders for all the areas I have cameras in, mm -hmm. within those folders, each camera location, within those folders, each date range of the card pool. So I save all my pictures. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how I organize. And then, you know, beyond that, I mean, I'm pretty much just trying to remember everything mentally as far right. as the data. Right. I, there are times where if we're getting one buck on camera in an area, you know, several times on camera throughout the hunting season, then where we will try to log some data like within a spreadsheet you know um the dates the times he's moving the ca mm -hmm. the specific camera he's showing up at mm -hmm. if we're trying to learn one deer mm -hmm. uh, but other than that i mean for me it's mostly mental just mm -hmm. i don't know i guess guys that are just so serious about hunting have a way of logging stuff in the brain yeah well and i ask you guys year. that question too because like i used to be fairly good at that when i feel like the way life has gone on wife kids work stuff like that it, it's way harder for me to do that now than it ever was before mm -hmm. like, just the way it is yeah no and i i struggle to remember last year's deer season like they all they all jumble together each hunt and yeah. same thing with trail cameras um it's like in some of the areas that i well one specifically we have 31 cameras right now okay in one area and i actually had to print out a paper map and I marked out every single camera where it is on that map. Now I have it on Onyx, which is what we use. Um, but next year I'm going to delete those pins. So I'm naming files on my computer based on my paper map so that next year I can say, Oh, this buck was on this camera at this location. I, I don't have to remember. All right. I had that camera on this Ridge or this saddle. Um, I can just go to my, my map say, Hey, it was right here. This is where the buck was on that date. This is where he was on this date. And that's kind of how I log. Now, this is the first year I'm doing that because the last couple of years we're running so many more cameras that the pictures are just in one folder from six, seven cameras. And it's tough to then get them all organized, especially with some of the deer that I'm trying to follow year to year. I'm actually breaking out those pictures into separate folders so I can say he was here, here. He was here on this date, this date, this date. And it's all in one location. Um, so that's kind of how I do it or how I've started to do it. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, Brandon, the way Brandon's doing it this year is probably a good way to do it. I do save like all my previous year camera locations. I still save those on Onyx all, all the previous years, just have them in a different color than, uh, existing cameras that are out this year, just so that I remember exactly where my cameras mm -hmm. were. But, uh, that does, I mean, that does cause like my Onyx to get yeah. a little bit cluttered, especially <laughs> every year that goes by, it'll get more and more cluttered. But for now I'm okay with it. And I mean, as far, yeah, as far as picture organization, I think we we're both pretty good with that, mm -hmm. but it does, it does get challenging with, with trying to remember all that data sometimes. But it's good to have it organized because there's so many times that I get a buck this year that I've had last year. It's like, I want to know what he was doing last year on this date and looking forward to this year I have some specific dates that I'm going to be out there and what was the activity like last year on this? Now each year the weather's going to be different, but it's a general idea of what was there or moving during that time. Yeah. My, my kick right now, and it's, it's been 
growing for the past probably three years is is windows mm-hmm. so um when I, we were on i was on vacation back in august um july august i had brought a bunch of cards with me that i just never took the time to go through mm-hmm. it took me forever to go through them and i finally was like you know what i'm gonna take some time and do that mm-hmm. and organized them the way i wanted I, I usually do by location by year and stuff like that and most of the time i'm saving the buck pictures um it's usually what, I, what i'm doing but i noticed that there was one buck that um I, I knew he went through last year kind of forgot about him but he went through in this this very small property that i hunt uh in daylight on this certain window and for whatever reason, probably because I had the time, the kids were asleep, and we weren't doing anything, I just started going through old pictures at this camera, and I started clicking through, and I'm like, wait, that's that buck from last year. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I didn't put two and two together, so two years in a row. And then I went back the third year, and I'm looking, and I'm not 100% sure, but I, I believe it's the same buck three years in a row. Wow. I didn't think it was mm-hmm. at first, but the more I look at it, I think there's a good chance of it just looking at antler characteristics and how his body's developed. Mm-hmm. But what's unique is... Every single year in the same time frame, he will show up, wow. and most of the time it's daylight. Wow. So now, like when you talk about organizing your cameras, that's where our, like you finally have a, a click moment. But I feel like 95-plus percent of the time when I'm going through cameras, I I think I'm look I'm trying to make something of it and look for something that I'm, I'm, it's probably not there. Like I'm, mm-hmm. it's, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like I just feel like I'm trying to – analysis by paralysis and sometimes like on the public land that i'm when i'm looking at those cameras i just feel like i need to take some of it with a grain of salt and just go hunt it too yeah yeah i mean that's very true i think like when you're talking about windows of time too i think that's something that's pretty relatable to most people because i think a lot of guys like us you know they're only going to have so much vacation time off work to be able to hunt and you know, a lot of guys probably have to know at least somewhat in advance, like what days they're going to take off work to hunt. So kind of being able to, to study that and log that windows of time that are good in certain areas, you have cameras or certain areas that you hunt, I think is extremely helpful or would be extremely helpful for most guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys, and I've fallen this too, where you're picking your location based on your trail cameras like and or disregarding a spot because you're not seeing anything on your trail cameras just go hunt it i mean there's like i was saying earlier there's so much more of the woods that you're not seeing on that trail camera there could be a trail right behind it they're using um in daylight and then the nighttime pictures are in front of your camera you don't know that just go hunt it do an observation sit uh even if you don't see a deer or see just a few deer out of range you still learn something take that into the next hunt maybe if you saw a buck that's 60 yards out do it again the next day, but shift closer. Like you're, you have to be able to move and be mobile, and and learn from each hunt. Each hunt is its own hunt. You have to learn from it, whether you saw deer or didn't. There's always something to learn from it. So you talked about windows and time off. We've been flirting and you know skirting around this. We're pretty much talking all about archery hunting and bow hunting mm-hmm. for the most part, and talk about vacation time. Do you guys historically have windows? that are by the calendar or has that changed over time? Like how will you orient when you want to spend the most time in the woods each year? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting one. I've kind of spent some different windows the last three to four years. 
it's been almost a little bit different each year. I've kind of tried to play it by the weather. Some years I've really only specifically played it like by the date and then some years by the weather. And that's a tough one to answer. I mean, I think every window, every window in and around, I mean, we love hunting the rut or leading up to the rut, the rut itself, and even, you know, the tail end of the rut. Every kind of phase can be really good. So it's hard to say, you know, which one is, is the best one to take your time off work. I think, I think the weather does play a, a huge role in it. And I think me personally, like, if you just said the weather is going to be equal for a month straight from like late October, let's, we'll say like, uh, from October 20th to November 20th, let's just pretend the weather's equal. I think for the area that I like to hunt during the rut, I would probably take off the second week in November just cause I don't know what it is. I think maybe that area I hunt, that's when a couple does are coming into heat, but I've just had so much success like in and around November 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. Isn't it I've amazing had... how properties can be different one <clears throat> to the next with that? Yeah, 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 it is amazing. And so, you know, those are some of my favorite days, but it's amazing how, yeah, you talk to other guys and, you know, they just, every year they're just doing amazing the last week of October mm-hmm. or, you know, Halloween or, you know, the day or two before Halloween or some guys have areas they hunt that uh, every year, like the week before Thanksgiving, it's good, you know, later in the rut. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, I think it all depends. I think, I think that just comes down to, you gotta, you gotta know your areas, mm-hmm. know when they're going to be the best and, uh, you know, maybe try to play play the weather too if you can mm-hmm. but yeah it's a tough question i mean it is if, i struggle if, with it all the time <laughs> if you could hunt for a month straight that'd be ideal but <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I, i'd probably end up you know getting served divorce papers if i did that so i'm gonna, I'm gonna try to refrain from doing that i mean i don't know what you think brandon but yeah because i'm i'm kind of the complete opposite where I don't think I've ever done a stint in PA or Maryland longer than three days. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I've never shot a buck in the rut in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, cause I'm hunting a day a week, a Saturday a week. Um, I don't have the opportunity to hunt those three, four, five day stints this year. I'm finally getting to do a, a five day stint, um, which I'm really excited about. Um, but I've just been, that weekend warrior just getting out there whenever i can who cares about the weather where it's hunting season like if it's pouring down rain better believe i'm gonna be out there with my tree stand umbrella grinding it out um and i'm more of a meat hunter like i just and content driven i'm a, yeah. i like to create things and i want to get that content so usually i mean if it a lot of years i don't even care if it's the rut if a doe walks by she's getting slocked <laughs> like, <laughs> i love that yeah. oh my god I love yeah. That. <laughs> yeah so i yeah i just Man, I love punching holes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, you have shot your fair fair share of does during the rut. Oh yeah. Which and is fine. I mean I don't regret it at all. It's awesome. It's a blast. So you yep. so you're the kind of people that they make those Instagram reels on when your buddy says that you've got one to drag out yep. and it's in the back corner yep. in the rut. Yeah. Yep. And it's a doe. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. There's something about good old Ted Nugent talking about the mystical flight of the arrow, and that is so stinking true. It's yeah, like I yep. just there's something. I mean, that's it goes back to what I said about talking with non-hunters. Like you can't explain to a non-hunter what it's like to shoot deer. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it is <laughs> you can't fun. It. You can't. It, it is. Oh, it is. And, and there's no terrible. shame in saying that. I mean, I, there's. I mean, the list is endless for the reasons we love hunting and mm-hmm. love to hunt, but. I'm not afraid to say that one of them is that it's just fun. It's fun to shoot deer mm-hmm. and just, I mean, yeah, I think it all comes down. It's just, it's part of who we are. I, I mean, it's just right. in our, in our blood, I believe, but. And some of the questions like I've gotten too, like, didn't you shoot enough this year? It's like. Even from hunters. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, and it's a generation thing too. It is. Didn't yeah. you shoot enough? Yeah. But in some of the areas we hunt, there's a high density deer too that, they need to be shot. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't realize, a lot of our followers don't realize that. Yeah. They don't. And that, and we get, we get comments <laughs> we about get it. A lot it's of like, why are you shooting, that? why are you shooting does why in the shooting rut? So many does. Yeah. And it comes down to, yeah, I, I keep what I, what my wife and I are going to eat. And there's donation banks that go to the homeless mm. or the needy. And you're doing, you're doing a favor to the conservation side by harvesting those deer because the population needs to be thinned, and you're also helping out people that are in need. Um, I take what, what I need and then just give the rest away. I've had family and friends that are hunters that make the comments about being greedy, about wanting to shoot more deer. Mm-hmm. And I'm I just like, where are you coming from on that? Like, I, right. I can't, I don't understand that. And yeah. I, like, I don't feel like I'm being greedy by wanting to shoot deer. I feel yeah. like if I have the tag and if it's an area that I don't feel mm-hmm. I'm impacting and all, like, why not? I love right. to go hunting. Right. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, I'm the exact same yeah. way. I love to go hunting. I love venison. I mm-hmm. love to shoot deer. I mean, if I'm hunting an area that uh, needs some deer harvested, not only population in general, but also buck to doe ratio. Mm, huge. You know, if that's out of whack, mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing wrong with shooting plenty of does. Yep. If the game I mean, commission is going to give me a tag, I'm going to do everything in my willpower to kill it. And fill it. <laughs> yeah. And we won't go down that rabbit hole. There's definitely controversy from some people just because we, like, there's areas where we yeah. have DMAP tags, additional yeah. tags, and there's people that whine and complain that mm-hmm. they sh- don't need to issue those and it's a money racket. And I don't I don't think we need to go down that. That's not for yeah. – I mean, I, I have some science knowledge, but, I mean, I'm not going to claim that I, I know what's best. But, right. um, you know, make your own judgment. Have your own hunt. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. – that's what it comes down to. So you talked about we were talking we we're talking public land mostly. Um, what is some of the gear that you have? Because I've gone through this evolution of having every gadget, gizmo, who's it, and what's it in my pack. And I mean, I I felt like there's days where I've had fifty yard walks to a tree stand, and I had a fifty pound backpack <laughs> with with stuff that I didn't need. So like, how is that molded for you guys over time? You know, stand hunting, saddle hunting, anything like that. Yeah, I mean, for us or for me, um, my setup really hasn't gotten lighter. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's because you guys got cameras. It's gotten heavier. <laughs> yeah, it's getting he- heavier. Um, I mean, just the camera gear, I mean, probably 15, 20 pounds at least of just camera gear. Then you got your stand. Um, and I'm still at the age where it it drives me, and I, I want to carry that stuff in there because I want to capture the best content that right. I can. Um Cause that's, that's what we love doing. And that's what our followers want to see. Um, so I don't mind carrying in that, that extra weight if it helps me get the content that we need to get. 
uh, to be able to share with our our viewers so i have no problem carrying a little extra weight sometimes yeah i mean yeah, i think generally i'm somebody who i mean i'm not going to say that you need to have the latest and greatest piece of gear to be successful you don't need the nicest thing but like i think most people that really really enjoy hunting and it's you know a big hobby or a big passion they have at least are willing to spend a little bit of money to have like decent gear you know um so i like to have you know at least you know what i consider decent gear you know Mm -hmm. it's not like the most expensive thing but um yeah i mean i run brandon you do most of your hunting out of your climber Mm -hmm. i do a hang on and and sticks and then uh yeah we got the camera gear we got the basics that Mm -hmm. anybody else would have i don't think we're bringing we're not bringing too much extra we're not really yeah we're not we're not bringing really uh anything that anybody else wouldn't bring other than our our camera gear really Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, here's here. I, I want to stop you there for a second. So you use a climber and you use a hang on. Um, I've used everything under the sun. Like I actually, I, I have a saddle. I hardly ever hunted out of it, but I've done the lot of hang ons still run, uh, run climbers, but it's all different preferences. So like, give me an idea why you guys prefer that because we're right now we're in a sea of if you don't saddle hunt, then yeah. you're mm-hmm. you're missing out because it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And saddle hunting is a, to me, it's a tool. You know, I, I think yeah. about you know, I think about I relate it to like my job in agriculture, where you, you talk about the the newest product that's come out from from an application standpoint, or maybe the newest software technology, and it's always portrayed as like the greatest thing because you're, you're trying to sell it. But at the end of the day, I look at it as yeah, it's great, but it's a tool. It mm-hmm. might not be used in the right application, so. I, I say that all to say, like, you guys are, are are steering away from what's kind of been normal lately. And I'm kind of curious, like, what, why, and what's the quality aspects for those pieces of equipment for you guys? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, we're pretty much just like you in that we've tried it. We've tried just about everything, too. We have mm-hmm. tried. Like, I've hunted out of a climber some. We've both, I mean, and you've hunted out of, uh, you've hunted out of hang-ons and mm-hmm. sticks some. And mm-hmm. we've both hunted out of uh, saddle some mm-hmm. we've both kind of had had our tries at that and i kind of dabbled dabbled in saddle hunting for yeah i'm trying to think of how many years i mean really since like 2019 i bought bought my first one mm-hmm. um so yeah for like the past four years i i kind of dabbled in saddle hunting a little bit but yeah i think over time it just became like you said a personal preference thing i mean i I'm not sure how to explain it. It's almost like you just got to, you got to try them all to know, mm-hmm. to know what's for you. And I just feel the most comfortable in, in my hang on and sticks with, you know, all aspects, shooting angles and just <clears throat> the walk in and out, packing it in and out, the setup. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just a, just a personal preference thing for me. I mean, I feel like I'm able to, for the most part, get into the trees I want to get in and, uh, you know, still have good shooting opportunities. What, if you don't mind me asking, what what do you run and what about that makes it, like, the best equipment for you? Uh, what stand I run? Yeah. Yeah, so I run the uh, the Lone Wolf, uh, one of the Lone Wolf Assault stands. Mm-hmm. 
I guess they're uh, they're no longer, are they? They're I don't know. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know because I haven't kept up with Lone Wolf. Yeah, I, I do know yeah. they've they've tra- traded hands over the years. Yeah, and then I have uh, a set of four XOP sticks, XOP mm-hmm. gear. So those I've had for quite a while. Those are uh, those are pretty heavy sticks actually compared to like some of this newer lighter stuff coming out but yeah i'm just used to them from over the years and feel pretty feel pretty good with them setting up taking them down i'm able to still get to the height i want to get to and uh yeah the stand is the stand is fairly lightweight uh but still you know big enough to you know accommodate me yeah. So and it's comfortable. Yeah. And you're running a climber. Yeah. So I I run an old man climber. Um, it's it's older, but I've tried I tried saddle hunting last year and honestly it was just not my favorite thing. Um, I got up into a couple of trees and I couldn't get the camera under the bridge, like and even by setting it super low, I was then hitting my body. Um, and may not have been doing it right, but I just felt like there was too many moving parts for me. And I wanted to be not facing a tree. I wanted to be able to see behind me. Now, I know you can swing, but I just felt like I was a little bit confined in that setup. So I've been running this climber for quite a few years now. It's a heavy climber. It's like 29, 30 pounds. Um, But I know it's not going anywhere um, when I'm up in that tree. And just being able to have that simplicity. I have two pieces, and I can get up that tree pretty quick. And I've... I've run hockey tape all over the thing to mm. deaden any noise. It, I've just refined that piece of equipment to fit me. I know there's there's uh, climbers out there that are lighter weight and probably will do the job maybe even a little bit better, but I can't I can't deviate from what I know best right now. Um, in yeah, I mean I I think the saddle is is very versatile for some people, but just not for me. And I've hung some pretty ridiculous sets with my climber, mm-hmm. like climbing the tree and hoisting up a base and or climbing a tree that's four inches in diameter. You're sitting at the top and you're just swaying constantly. And it's like, just be creative with it. And I mean, I've, I've seen killed some deer hanging some ridiculous sits. Um, and then there's also those times where you climb a perfectly straight tree and don't see a deer. It, it, you just gotta be, you just gotta have to have that mindset that, this is fun. Like, don't go out there with the mentality that I'm going to kill a big deer. It's like, go out there and have fun, and whatever the good Lord has for you out there is going to happen. Well, I can echo that. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this, though, because on the topic of gear, it is easy to see the newest, the latest, the greatest, and everybody wants to dive into it. But you guys are talking about using a system that works for you. You've adjusted it. Like you talked about modifying with hockey tape. Like I'll never forget. Like I was, when I was learning about people modifying their stuff in certain different ways and I saw stealth strips, I thought, Oh, those are the coolest things. And somebody's like, well, just use hockey tape. He's like, Oh, where were you six months ago when I started doing this? Like just stuff like that, (laughs) but like modifying it to, to your case in point, because if you get a system that works for you, maybe you fine tune it, but why do you got to deviate far? And another example I, I talk about with that is, is, compound bows mm-hmm. like i love to shoot new bows I, I love them i don't work with a bow company if i worked with a bow company and switch bows more often i'd love to but i've finally now gotten to a point where the bow that i shoot that is what i feel comfortable with and i don't feel like i need to deviate from it mm-hmm. it's not it's there's nothing wrong with tinkering and trying to get better but 
to me, when it comes to the gear side of thing, I don't think there's anything wrong with finding something that works for you and sticking to it. Mm-hmm. And that's how we were too for a lot of years. Now we've we've signed with the bow company. Now we shoot those bows each year, but I mean we we shot the same bows yeah. for quite a long a lot time of years. and killed a lot of deer with it. Yeah, and yeah. even with the new stuff, it kills deer too. But it's all in what you do with that bow it's it's a tool so you have to practice you have to put in the time um you can kill a deer with a recurve you can kill a deer with uh, a compound bow it's it's all up to the user and how much time you put into it so it doesn't matter how old the gear is if it fits you and you're you're accurate with it and you feel good with it use it yeah speaking of uh companies and gear i I did want to talk a little bit about huntworth because both of us work with huntworth you guys have worked with them a lot longer you know more about huntworth stuff than i do and i wanted to shed light on this episode because um i was always somebody that i would I, i would spend my money on my bow tree stands a lot of the the specific gear for whatever reason i have always been a cheapskate when it comes to clothing <laughs> like i will have mismatched stuff and, and there's nothing wrong with that but when i started using you know, I, I got i i did buy some huntworth stuff and then i got to work with them and, and and they let me try some other stuff out i could not believe how much more comfortable i felt hunting that and i i felt like this is going to sound corny. I felt more athletic with mm. better gear, like move mm. mobility. And to me, I, I think it, it made my hunt more enjoyable. But, you know, speaking of, of hunt worse stuff, um, you know, they've got anything from the, the light, mid, and heavyweight stuff. And I've only had experience with the, the Elkins midweight stuff in turkey season this year, and I really liked it. But you guys have worked with them for a little while now? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I don't even remember. At least two years. At least this is our second year. This is our second year. Yeah. Uh, It feels like longer than that. But, yeah, I mean, echoing off what you said, it seems like, to kind of back up a second, but it seems like in the hunting world right now, the social media world, there's kind of a group of people where it's like, it's the cool thing to do to be, like, soaking wet, to be, you know cold and you know hunting clothing doesn't matter at all but mm-hmm. i would you know i would i would encourage people to you know realize that like you said i mean wearing the hunt worth something a little bit better it, it has made your hunts more enjoyable mm-hmm. and uh Huge. i think that i think that um being comfortable being dry being warm feeling athletic like you mm-hmm. said like those are all things that, you know, I think would be more valuable valuable to people on a hunt than they would actually realize. You know, I'm not saying you know that you have to be super soft, and you you know sometimes you got to be willing to be to be cold and mm-hmm. and wet and you know get a little bit muddy or dirty. But um, I think there is there is some value in having you know some nicer clothing. Um, for those reasons but um yeah sorry i now i forget what your original <laughs> yeah, no so was. like I, like one one thing I, I said and this is back to feeling more agile mobile and the example i'm going to give you is the first day of turkey season it was rainy and i think it was i mean it did get up into the probably mid 50s by mid-morning but overall it was probably high 40s rainy it was dreary miserable 
and uh, I stay dry, which I, I, I talked about. But one thing I've noticed is whenever I've tried to bundle up for warmer clothing, um, most of the time I didn't have something that had a really good windbreaking layer, and therefore I had more bulk. And I can tell you just from the turkey that I killed that morning, it, I, I struck a gobbler up around 11 o'clock, and 15 minutes I called him in and killed him. And when the last time he gobbled, he I, I, he was where my gun barrel was. He was drifting to my left, which wasn't a big deal because I'm right-handed for shooting. But I remember I shifted, and I... I I didn't think about it right away, but afterwards, like the 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 movement I did when you're sitting up against a tree and stuff like that, it didn't feel big, bulky, and awkward like it has when mm-hmm. I've worn like a big, thick cotton coat and stuff mm-hmm. like that in a in a morning where it was like that. So that was one time where it really opened my eyes. And the other thing that I've really liked too is I I've fallen in love with having like. Uh, conforming base layers mm-hmm. underneath my clothing because I feel like it keeps me warm wicks away moisture and then a windbreaker like I just it I stay warmer but I don't feel the bulk yeah yeah I mean that's so true I mean the base layers are crucial mm-hmm. to staying warm uh so we love those we love those base layers from Huntworth and then uh yeah I mean like you said it's and then the, I mean, the other big thing that that Huntworth has is the heat boost for the cold weather gear, the late season stuff. So I don't have much experience with that. Like, mm-hmm. can you guys enlighten me a little bit more? Because I'm anxious to try it. Yeah. So I mean, really, what it comes down to is, and actually, we have a we have a video review that'll come out uh, on heat boost here pretty soon. Actually, when this podcast is live, that video will be out. Mm-hmm. But um, heat boost. I mean, it's it's simply giving you more warmth for less bulk. Like you mm-hmm. said, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how warm it is. Honestly. I mean, I, we have the, um, the Saskatoon jacket and pants as well as the Matterhorn. And those, and, those are bigger. Those are like the, the mega duty, heavy, cold weather stuff, right? Yeah. The Matterhorn would be the heaviest. Okay. And then the Saskatoon would be, would be the next lightest, uh, both super warm, and yeah, it really, I remember I talked about, talked about it a little bit in the video, but it really does change kind of the way you hunt, the way you layer for the late season when it's cold out. I mean, just being able to, being able to, to stay warm for less bulk when you're late season archery hunting is a big deal. And like public land hunters, you know, obviously we're, if we're hiking into an area during cold weather, we're not going to hike in with all our clothes on. So you're strapping your clothes to your stand or to your back. And so, you know, you're taking in less, less weight if you have Mm -hmm. to take in less bulk. So, you know, the heat boost is, the heat boost is the real deal for sure. Mm -hmm. It was pretty awesome to use that stuff last year, uh, Mm -hmm. during the late season cold weather. So, um, and their gloves are on next level too. And that's, that's how Huntworth was, founded basically on their gloves um and just a testament i was fishing in montana this past well, two years ago now and it was between five and ten degrees and i landed a fish hands were soaking wet and they're cold i slipped them into those fleece covers like if any other glove that i wore before my hands were just absolutely frozen mm-hmm. and i slipped them into those those fleece lined gloves it was a game changer i mean it wasn't instant but man they warmed up quick 
And same thing with the heat boost. Um, like Grant said, you don't have to layer up uh, like like I used to. I had uh, just a regular hunting jacket. It was thick. Um, it was super thick to begin with. And then I had two to three layers underneath that yet. And exactly like Grant said, again, I'm carrying all that to the stand and wearing an, another base layer that got sopping wet from mm-hmm. my sweat. So now I have to change that out, but I have to carry all that in there. Now, yeah, you still need to layer up, but your layers aren't nearly as many nor as thick yeah. underneath. Um, I mean, there's a couple of times where I wore the heat boost and just a long, the long sleeve base layer underneath yeah. it. It's like, I was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so uh, I, I, I sound a little bit like a hypocrite when you talk about this with, with stuff because I'm, I'm utilizing this stuff now and learning more about it. But, you know, before I didn't spend the money to, and, and now with my experience that I've used so far and knowing the added benefit, I think that my biggest hurdle whenever it came to hunting clothing was I never felt it was going to be the value of the price tag. Mm-hmm. And Huntworth isn't too bad in the first place when you consider all the other gear out there mm-hmm. but now that i've experienced that i would have no problem spending the money but w- whenever you look at any clothing company there is all kinds of different makes and models and everything else and to me it's like a sea of trying to go through so like the stuff that you guys have run for pennsylvania hunting from the beginning of archery season where the in the extended season if you guys hunt it is you know september 16th i think this year and then we go into the extended season in january up, up until basically almost february 1st and stuff like that so you've, you've got that real long window and I, I i was curious what your guys perspective is if if you're you're again the everyday outdoorsman that has a certain amount of money that you're going to spend to like how would you orient your your clothing structure for the majority of the season like being the, being the hunters that you guys are yeah as far as like <clears throat> if we were to recommend like yeah just how somebody should structure their purchases like on hunting clothing i guess that's what you're asking yeah, yeah like yeah i mean i would say i mean like you said it kind of all depends how much how much money you want to spend on it but you know i would recommend that people try to set them up for three different phases of the season early season mid season or the rut and then late season so i'll try to set yourself up with uh, a lightweight pair of pants with you know something lightweight for your top Mm-hmm. And then, you know, midweight. So we love the Elkins. That's what we run. Okay. Elkins pants, Elkins jacket for midweight. And then, uh, you know, set yourself up with, mm-hmm. with something for late season. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least at least a jacket. Yeah. You know, if you're going to skip out on one thing, maybe the late season pants if you're somebody who, you know, doesn't really get cold legs easily. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, if you can try to try to get yourself covered for, for those three areas and uh you know you should be should be in pretty good shape doing that um yeah the late season stuff being the uh either either the saskatoon or the matterhorn mm-hmm. i would say and then uh yeah like we said the elkins for midweight stuff is our favorite and then some of our favorites for the lightweight stuff would be um uh, the durham pants mm-hmm. uh the gadsden pullover that's another one we use a lot. Okay. And then the two hoodies, the uh, the Harrison hoodie and then the Shelton hoodie. The hoodies are nice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, nice. I did run that one, uh, I think it's a Shelton in, yeah. in turkey season. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what do you think like out of all the stuff like what do you think has the most versatility in it that you've used just because like I, again i'm coming back from my roots i'm a little bit of a stubborn dutchified boy in in, in burks county <laughs> um but uh, no like I, I like if you were gonna say i'm not gonna spend you know, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, getting three different sets of clothing, even though I think it's worth it. Like, yeah. where do you think with the hunting that you guys do, it's the what's like a little bit of the most versatile? Probably, I would say the most versatile thing is pro- would probably be the Elkins jacket and then the Durham pants. I agree. The lightweight pants mm-hmm. with the midweight jacket. I mean, if you were going to go, you know, as minimum as possible on what you're buying you could you could hunt a lot of the season in that stuff because yep. um, a lot of the season here is in october where we're starting yeah. in maryland we're starting first second week of september so we're using yep. lighter stuff but with those durham pants and the elk is i mean you can hunt for a while and yeah. if it gets colder just layer up yeah. yeah if you had to you could layer up you know, pretty heavy under the Elkins mm-hmm. and still hunt in the late season. Absolutely. And, you know, if it's if it's early in the season, you know, just like a little little bit of chill in the air, you can wear that thing with a T-shirt underneath and, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going to be too hot. And then, yeah, for the pants, I mean, perfect for early season. And then even into colder weather, you can wear some base layers underneath and, and still be good to go for the most mm-hmm. part unless it was – you know, absolutely frigid, but yeah, I would, that, that would be my answer to that question would be the, the Durham pants and the Elkins jacket, mm-hmm. you know, would probably be the, the two most versatile things. I agree. I've never been somebody that's been a big fan of like specific camo patterns and never really cared. I don't know why I like that digital camo pattern, that disruption. I just yeah. think it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> it just looks cool. I like it. Yep. Yeah, and, and like I, I, I used to. I'm not gonna lie. I used to make fun of some of my buddies that bought like head to toe the same camo patterns. Like, yeah. oh, you're special. I'm, <laughs> like, no, I'm the the dude yeah. that's doing the same thing. Yeah. But I'm like, it it does. It's like it has to me. I'm not talking about the camo pattern from a hunting benefit standpoint. I'm just purely looking at the looking this, at it yeah it's like i just yeah. think it looks cool yeah. like I'm, yeah. I'm sitting here looking over at the pile of clothing you have sitting over there i'm like that just is a cool that's just a yep. cool camo pattern yep. yep yep you guys are talking about uh september rolling up i mean we're as as we're recording this i mean maryland is right around the corner do you guys hunt maryland pretty hard or is just mostly early before like kind of getting the feet wet going into pa we yeah we hard. hunt it pretty hard yeah, yeah we do uh yeah we hunt it hard in September, early season. Arguably almost more than PA for me, at least, okay. throughout the entire season. Yeah. I mean, their probably, season's longer. You probably hunt Maryland more than PA now. And, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, for me, it's – I probably still hunt more PA than Maryland, but it's mm-hmm. it's close. Right. Um, yeah, so my season will be pretty much all Maryland in September. And then October probably be – maybe like 75% PA, 25% Maryland, maybe more like 50-50. Mm-hmm. And then once the rut comes, I'll pretty much be all PA until, you know, if I'm fortunate enough to fill my tag, then I would be all Maryland for okay. whatever time I have left. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, for gun season, if we haven't filled our buck tags, we're for the most part, we're PA. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the late season is actually – Mostly Maryland. Mostly Maryland. From, oh, okay. Yeah. From like 
mid-December through the end of January yeah, for like a month first. and a half. We hunt, we hunt it pretty hard in the late season too. Mm. So, yep. yeah, we hit it hard. We hit it hard for sure. Um, both states. Yeah. So you guys, and would you guys, if somebody asked you, are you specifically tied to bow hunting? Your answer would be like, um, yeah, I'm not sure what my answer to that would be. I mean, <laughs> bow hunting is our main thing just cause that's what the majority of the season is. Right. You know, really there's only, for the most part, there's only two weeks out of the year that we're going to gun hunt, you know, other than there's the early, uh, inline season for Pennsylvania for antlerless yeah. deer. So we hunt that a little bit. There's, mm. uh, there's a three day inline muzzleloader season for maryland that we've hunted before which you can shoot a buck in i believe shoot a buck yeah Yeah. yep and then in maryland and then there's also late uh late muzzleloader season in maryland too we've never done that we've not done that a lot we've hunted during that time but just with the bows yeah so yeah i mean for the most part we're bell hunters for for the better part of the season i mean the season our season is every bit of four and a half months close to five months from start to finish and for pretty much all of it other than maybe two three weeks we're bow hunting yeah yeah i'm i'm kind of the same way um do you so with so, with that bow hunting do you have any like so so many i don't know how to word this question so many people i know they get so fixated on bow hunting because because of the opportunity thing that it just yeah. becomes part of their identity. And then, like the other gun seasons and stuff, it almost gets like a negative taste in your mouth. Like, mm. like you guys don't feel that way when it comes to the other seasons throughout the year. Not really. I mean, we grind it out in archery season, and hopefully, we're lucky enough to to harvest a few deer. But man, I love getting that gun in the hand. Yeah, just even the playing field a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> for sh- those two weeks. <laughs> I should have added that in on my last answer. Like. That's like, I mean, us being bell saying we're bell hunters. That's not because we don't like gun hunting. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just we love them both. I right. love bell hunting, but I also love rifle hunting, and mm-hmm. and you know don't feel bad about getting the gun out no. at all. We, we even save tags for rifle season. Yeah, because we enjoy hunting with the rifles. Yep. Yeah. So we love them both, and and uh, you know if somebody wants to strictly only be a bell hunter, that's fine too. But mm-hmm. You know that's definitely that's definitely not us. We enjoy them both, and yep. I dabbled with that with a little. Both. I dabbled with that a little bit with the idea of just strictly bow hunting, and yeah, every now and then I'm like, you know what? I like hunting with a gun. And the other thing I'm I'm looking at too in your gun safe over there, Brandon, is that flintlock in there. Mm-hmm. That's one oh, yeah. I've really enjoyed. You guys, yeah. you guys mess around with the flintlocks much? Oh, we've Brandon messed around. Has, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, we've messed. Yeah, that's a good way to answer it. We yeah. uh, we hunted ten years with the flintlocks. <laughs> with our entire crew and finally Herschel killed one. Yeah. yeah. I've missed I think I'm upwards of twelve deer with mine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like not yeah. not the best. <laughs> but it, it's fun. <laughs> I think about flintlocks. The level of practice that you should do is probably not far off what you should do with your bow. Probably. Totally agree. <clears throat> yeah. I never quite get there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't but, know if anybody does. No, because if that's the case then I gotta be shooting it in the summertime right. because I'm busy deer hunting. Right. Well, I, I was thinking about that. Like, I want to get better. And I shoot mine 
well. I've been fortunate. I've taken a couple deer. Mm-hmm. Now the next thing I'd like to do is I'd, I'd like to eventually have the opportunity to kill a buck with one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking about that. Like, like I've had some sh- shots over the years. I mean, I'll, I'll tell some good examples and some bad examples. First good example, last year we were doing some drives with a group of guys from church, and one of the guys hit a deer, and fortunately for him, he was in real rough shape physically and he 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 hit this deer and and ended up going a very long distance and i ended up being one of the people that was on the trail right so we uh we chased this deer it ended up being alive it ended up going in a creek it was like 80 yards and fell in the creek and was just laying there it was about 80 to 90 yards laying broadside in this creek and uh i ended up i had a shooting stick but i still i put it on the shooting stick and squeezed one off and i i mean 10 ringed it and it was like <laughs> wow that's like how it's supposed to go yeah. when you shoot yeah. that and then i think back to some of the other deer i'll never forget one time that the first deer i ever killed with a flintlock this uh group of eight doe come out it was a la- i was buck hunting and i had my back tag it was the last day i'm like mm-hmm. i'm shooting a doe this is the last evening and i've never mm-hmm. shot a deer with this gun mm-hmm. and i'll never forget i lined this doe up and thought i squeezed off this perfect shot and when the gun went off i heard Bleh! and I, I looked and here the button buck that was to the right of it i hit it in the top end of its rear end in the spine and it's dragging itself across the leg so i like quick run out reload my gun and i literally got from here to your steps away and i was that excited that between the reaction of of the flinch and then i also like my you know black powders and hydras so it takes that moisture in mm-hmm. and uh i had a, a little bit of a hang fire yeah i kid you not from here to your steps away i missed the thing it was standing <laughs> wow. it was waiting for me to finish it off and i missed yeah. it i had to reload and shoot a third time so like <laughs> i've i've been through the good the bad and the ugly yep. of some and it's like i want that to be a weapon that when the time comes that i'm gonna hunt with it mm-hmm. I want to be as proficient as possible. Like yeah. I, I always make the joke with some of my buddies. It's like there's there's gr- guys I've hunted with in groups that if they shoot, I think man, there's probably a good chance that he got that because he's pretty good with a that gun. Yeah. And there's other people. It's like <laughs> it's, it's like Brandon. It's like well, he missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no no confidence here. But no. <laughs> like I, I had the mindset that I was gonna sh- I was gonna practice this summer and into fall. And you know how many times I brought it out zero. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I think it still might even have the load in it from this fall. Like on my gun case. Like, so that I've enjoyed that, and I enjoy late season hunting. But yeah, it's like the bouncing act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I can't talk with flintlocks because I've never even tried it. No, oh, <laughs> no. you're missing out. No, you're I've missing out. He need a lefty flintlock. Yeah, would you? Yeah, I can get you one. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> if you find me a lefty flintlock, maybe I'll buy it. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I've been mostly archery for late season, but well, all archery, yeah. I should say, but. Yeah, been along for some, been along filming Brandon on some of those uh, flintlock hunts, so that's always fun. Not a lot of content coming out from my flintlock yeah. hunts, I can tell you that. More bloopers. More bloopers, yes. Good, good, <laughs> memories. Content. good memories. Good memories. Good memories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's amazing, like, if you go on YouTube and you type in Pennsylvania flintlock hunting, like, some, those are some sometimes big big views on some mm-hmm. of those videos i always yeah. enjoy watching yep. those like i've connected with some people just for that and i mean i think it's just because it's unique to our area i yeah. enjoy that gotta yeah. give a shout out to johnny royer leatherwood outdoors he's yeah the, he's the goat for that he is the goat i started watching some of those and I, I think about the production that he goes through that yeah i'm like you are nuts dude. that's hours upon hours of yeah. just dedicated in the field doing it and then back at the computer like that that takes some time 
So, so like, uh, John would be the perfect ass, but, like, you guys watch that video. You know what it takes from the editing side of things. Like, what kind of investment do you have in the computer to make something like that? Hmm. A I lot mean, of time. Yeah, I don't know what the number would be. Yeah, a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. A lot of hours for sure. I, I just mean, edited my, like, the <clears throat> season intro to mm-hmm. one of my videos. It took me about 12 hours to 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 create a one-minute clip. 12 hours. That's absurd. Yeah, let that sink in, everybody who wants to film their own hunts. Because, like, I yeah. I dabbled with it. Like I said, I, I used to carry my little handy cam, and I was, like I said, going back to cheapskate. I used to have this clamp that would go on one of those three-piece screw-on bow holders, and mm-hmm. I'd, I'd put my little handy cam on I filmed that. I shot a doe. I shot a buck and yeah. filmed it and mm-hmm. might have even filmed some turkey hunts with it. But I got to a point where I was like, yeah, once I have this all, then – like it's a lot of time at the computer. I'm like, this just is not for me. We were, we were talking about that before yeah. we started recording. Like, yep. it, it it's just come like this is part of hunting now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just kind of how it is for us. That's just it's a part of it. I mean, it's a part of hunting season and really all year round. It's just that time on the computer. Yep. I mean, it's, I mean, there's parts about it we like. I'm not gonna not gonna say we love it that mm-hmm. part as much as being out in the field yeah. hunting and making the content, but. um you know, it's just a part of it, and mm-hmm. and it is. I'd say the fun part about it is just kind of seeing that project come together. Mm-hmm. You know, see a video come together that you were out, you filmed, you kind of had a vision for it. You know, come back, create it on the computer, and mm-hmm. you know, I think that's that's pretty fun to do. Having that vision is huge. Like if you're going out there without the mindset of what you need to capture. You're basically doing it. It's not. It's pointless because, like, we have to go out there. And granted, I've had this discussion a lot of times, trying to go out there with intent and a mindset of what do I want this end video to look like. Yeah, a lot of times you're not going to kill anything, but you have to create that B-roll. You have to get all those secondary B-roll shots to be able to create a video that someone wants to watch. Each video, it's they're all different. They have to be unique and and engaging with your audience. Yeah. So being able to have that idea of what you want it to look like is so huge because now you're you know all right so once i get in the stand this is what i need to film this is what i need to capture and even if you don't kill deer there's so many times where i still save all that video footage and can go back to if i'm creating some other kind of video i have that b-roll stuff from a previous hunt that i can just pull from and use now yeah repurpose and recycle that do that all the time a big challenge too is just trying to capture the whole process Mm -hmm. the whole trying to capture the whole journey i think is a challenge a lot of times well you self, gotta be self-filming yeah. you gotta be slower yeah. in everything you yeah. do right yep yeah um yeah self-filming is tough with that trying mm-hmm. to capture everything we try to do the best we can you know i think it's easy for people to watch a youtube video and a lot of times it's you know just kind of like the hunt itself mm-hmm. or you know even even just a small part of the hunt itself but mm-hmm. you know we try to try to show the whole process as much as we can even yeah, just with our videos in the off-season scouting and even incorporating, you know, some of that footage into our, our hunting season videos. And then, you know, the day of the hunt or the week of the hunt, trying to kind of show as much of that process as we can, I think, mm-hmm. you know, helps tell tell the story the best. I heard somebody say one time that has, I don't even remember who this was, they said that they felt like self-filming, one thing that it, it helped them do was slow down in the woods because you get the mindset before where I want to get from point A to point B, and when they were creating content around it, it forced them to slow down, and they felt like there was maybe not necessarily a, a, 
uh, uh, making them a better hunter. It just was like a more enjoyable process slowing down, which I still can't fathom just because I still can't fathom carrying <laughs> extra gear with cameras and everything else. But like I said, it, for you guys, it's probably, I got to know though. So you've done this for a very long time. Do you still have hunting buddies or family or stuff that still poke fun at you because you're you're doing this extra progression for hunting? Because I could tell you right now, I still got buddies and family that are like, oh, the Pennsylvania woodsman's here. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I haven't experienced not that a lot. too much. No, yeah, no. not a lot. I mean, I guess everybody's just so used to it by now. Right. That's just like, that's what our identity is almost. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, we don't get that a whole lot. But Good, because I, I get that a lot. I guess it's because we've been just doing it for so long. Right, yeah. I mean, literally, like, I've been, I mean, I guess we both have been filming hunts now for way longer than we've not been hunting and not been filming. Right. right. I yeah. mean, that's just kind of like, it's almost to the point where that's all we know now. Yeah, it feels weird to walk into the woods without camera gear now. Yeah. It's been extremely rare that that's happened, but it has happened a couple times yeah. where we were on a hunt here or there without camera gear and it it did feel weird yeah <laughs> that buck right there <laughs> really yeah oh yeah that's right yeah that I, buck hanging right there did you ever watch that video i, I think i did but i didn't remember that it wasn't yeah because i i wasn't intending to hunt that night so i just walked i drove over to my parents house to shoot my recurve and the wind was good so i was like well i'm just gonna walk out here no scouting nothing climbed the tree just like freehand it stood on a limb in fit, sweatpants in sweatpants and a t-shirt <laughs> you're kidding 20 minutes later i poked yeah. him yeah, it's been a long time because that was what two or three years ago, or is it longer? That than was that? two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember um, my, my buddy Devon, who you guys know at, at Little Mountain. Yeah, he, he sent me that clip. I oh, think really? when you got when you shot that. Yeah, and I watched it. I just don't remember it anymore because right. it was two years ago and stuff. But no, I didn't realize that. Yeah, shot him in sweatpants and yeah. t-shirt. I remember Brandon sent me a Snapchat video that night of him standing on this limb yep. in. You know, these old, torn-up rubber boots and sweatpants. Yep. And 30 minutes later, he's FaceTiming me. Yep. And I'm like, this has to be good news. Were you, you had to be hysterical. Oh, I was. Yeah. I Well, you didn't pick up. I called you about, like, four or five times because he was yeah. busy. Yeah. And I was like, I have to talk to someone. Like, Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a video camera. I was like, I, I need someone to come here to videotape this. Yeah. So... Like Cameron came over then, and Grant ended up coming over, and like we we tried to capture. And I actually filmed, like recreated the hunt the next day, and that's that's what the film is is basically a recreation of that hunt. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you went out like no scouting. You just decided I'm going to get in a tree. Like- yeah. So it's my parents' property, and I didn't do any scouting. And my my parents had said, "Yeah, we haven't really seen any deer all the summer," and which they they typically do. And I walked out 50 yards off the grass line and climbed this maple tree that I knew was there. And I was actually hunting a cornfield edge on the edge of my parents' property, thinking they'd be walking that edge. Well, he came on the trail behind me. So I had to spin around and shoot him. I shot him at 10 yards. Um, but he With he, the recurve. With the recurve. And he ran towards my parents' house and died 20 yards like within the grass line. It's like, you can't write that up. <laughs> well, and to give even more backstory to people who don't know, like you, if I remember right, so it was a weeknight, mm-hmm. you were go, you went over there intending to just shoot your bow, shoot yeah. your recurve to practice for the weekend mm-hmm. and got there, yep. realized it was an there's east thir- wind. It's an east wind. I mean, you had your hunting stuff in your car, your hunting license, your, your yes. bow and well, yeah, your bow. Cause you were going to shoot. Right. And 
realize there's 30 minutes of daylight left and it's an east wind. Yep. Let's hop up I'm this gonna tree try and it. see what happens. Yep. So I didn't you have went a... there not even thinking you were going to hunt. Nope. I stepped out. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go hunt. I'm going to go try it out. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. shot his biggest deer. My biggest buck. After seven years hunting with the recurve, I finally got a deer killed and it was my biggest one to date. Now, you still hunt with a compound, though, so where does the recurve fall in your level of, of attractiveness for archery hunting? Pretty low on the totem pole now, because that's going to be tough to beat. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that. No, but I passed up a lot of deer that season, just okay. too far or whatever, and yeah, I mean, it was totally worth it, but there was content that I missed out on, Right. so now it's like, I just want to kill deer on film, so I'm going to use the compound. I can respect that. Yeah. I'll probably hunt with it again someday, but uh, for now, I'm just soaking in that one. There, there's something there's something about having that bow sit right under that mountain, mm-hmm. just kind of reminisce on the crazy oh, yeah. story. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, Pretty man. cool. So we'll, uh, we've been rolling for a while. I'm going to be mindful of your guys' time and, and kind of bring this to head. But I'm, I'm kind of curious. Um, so you've been doing since you guys, you said you were 14 yeah. with, with your, your YouTube channel. So yeah. Do you have an outlook of what you want to see or do or accomplish in the next five years? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. I would say one thing that's the same is I don't think we have, like, an exact plan Mm-mm. for where it's going to go. I just think our goal is to, you know, continue to, to hopefully reach more and more people, be a good influence on everybody, and, mm-hmm. you know, spread the word about, hunting and fishing and you know show everybody our adventures and why it's so fun and Mm -hmm. such a blessing in our lives yeah you know is the way that i would put it but you know it's hard for me to it's hard for me to say like i look at the last five years where we've come from and it's like you know it's hard for me to say where it's going to be in five years or what my exact plan is but Mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy to look back on those five years and see where we've come from and and understand that the next five years are going to be probably just as insane. Yeah. Which is pretty yep. cool. Well, well, it is. And I, I think there's there's nothing wrong with having goals, dreams, aspirations, and goals. But th- at the same time, there's, there's a part of me that says, like, when you do something like this without major expectation, you're just doing it out of enjoyment and in the glory of God, that the things in which it can take you is mm-hmm. pretty daggone cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's very true. I mean, it's always just kind of, that's always kind of how it's been. I mean, we were just guys that loved to hunt and fish and, and, uh, we never were like, yeah, it was never really numbers oriented, like with goals or anything. It was just like, we're just doing this for fun. And, you know, it kind of, kind of took us here to places we didn't think we'd get to yeah and it's still extremely fun and we still enjoy doing it but now kind of seeing those numbers come to fruition and seeing things kind of start to ramp up a little bit it's like this this is really cool and there's some opportunities that we have here right now and and in the future that that could be huge for this channel um and i think we yeah like grant said we don't really focus on goals for the next five years it's it's a lot of what are we doing this year to be successful um so that in those next five years we can yeah. continue to grow, but I don't think we have huge goals for those five years. It's more yearly based stuff, so we yeah. can continue to to increase. Yep. And, and I, I, the reason I like that is because when I think about how the hunting industry and media content has been for a long time, it was driven on kill content, 
and meeting numbers and quotas and stuff like that. And like one positive thing that I will say amidst of YouTube and social media is when, when you're following no script and you're just doing what you love to do and bringing the content along the way, it's relatable and it's enjoyable. And I just think that that is ultimately better. There's, there's no negative motive behind hunting. It's just pure enjoyment and it's film creation. So I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it, when it becomes unenjoyable, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Like if it ever gets to a point for us where it's like, this is an actual job and I do not like doing this. What's the point? It's, that's not hunting anymore. That's a job that you're working. Yeah. Um, and I think for us, we just like capturing that content out there and showing it to people. And that's, that's where this was stemmed from 13 years ago. And that really hasn't changed. Yeah. We're working with sponsors and we have some, some things that we have to do to meet our contracts, but it's at the end of the day, it's still content creation and we're still having a blast doing it. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what we've always done. And, um, you know, as far as the business side of it, yeah, I mean, we don't really have specific numbers, goals. We just, we're just doing what we love to do. And as opportunities have come along that have made sense for us, you know, you know, if God opens up an opportunity, we'll, we'll walk through that door when it's there. But, you know, other than that, we're just like you said, just doing what we love to do. And keep doing it, guys. You're doing a great job. I appreciate it. I, I thank you for letting me come over and BS with you. Um, I, 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 if you would be willing, I'd like to make this more of a habit. This was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, before, yeah we'll have to do it again. Before we go, um, you know, make sure uh, Everyday Outdoorsmen, where you're following along, all that good stuff. And if there's anything else going specific to this season you want to share, Brent, please do. Yeah, I mean, nothing too specific. Uh, yeah, we're at the Everyday Outdoorsman on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Is that everything? Yeah. yeah. For the most part. Yep. We try to put out um, one, two videos a week if possible, and we just keep pumping out out the uh, the content for each person to watch and enjoy because we yeah. enjoy creating it. So hopefully you guys enjoy watching it. Yeah, full-length hunting videos on YouTube and then, you know, on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, social media trying to put out stories and reels kind of more uh, – you know more up-to-date stuff even yeah. we're even like posting reels while we're out in the stand and stuff you know almost live stuff so um yeah definitely appreciate anybody that checks it out yeah absolutely do that um thanks again guys appreciate it yeah well thanks a lot for having yeah. us on mitchell really yeah, appreciate awesome. it thanks